some weeks looking at uh, Genesis 22, in particular Jehovah Jireh, and uh, the, and what that what that name of the Lord really really means. The Lord shall provide, or His provision. And we've been looking at the provision of the Lord, and just to catch our minds up into this a moment. In and we're going to move on this morning, but I just want to catch your minds for a moment, and we're going to review a couple of things from the from the last service. In Genesis, you know, in the whole dealing with Abraham, Abraham heard God. So in the beginning of the dealings with him, he was a man that had heard the voice of God, and he was moving out toward that voice. And at times we talked about this, he not always understood the voice he heard. And uh, in particular, uh, when God had promised him a seed, the King James calls it a seed, an offspring or a son, Abraham tried to fulfill that first by uh, one that wasn't of his household, and he said, this one, Eliezer, must be what you're talking about. In other words, he tried to figure out what God was saying. And I feel that is often the state that we're in, that we're trying to figure out what God is saying. And then, then you have the, the son he has by Sarah's handmaid. And so he has a son of the flesh, Ishmael. And he tries to work what God is saying. So he decides, I'm going to get it done. He and Sarah, Sarah says, come into my handmaid and have a son by her. And this will be the heir. And see, neither of those were God's mind or God's purpose. So God moved according to His purpose and He said, Hey, Abraham, this isn't my heir. This isn't your heir. This isn't your seed. This isn't your son. But when I come, you're going to have a son. And that son is going to be a son of purpose. And Isaac is the provision. He's speaking of the provision of the Lord And of course, when Abraham goes to offer Isaac, the Lord speaks to him. And and you know, Abraham, lay not your hand upon him. And, And of course, Abraham had declared before that God himself shall provide, or God shall provide himself, a sacrifice. And I just review that to kind of bring you up to where we are. And we began to look uh, a couple weeks ago at, at... the for out of this, the land of Moriah, and Moriah means the place seen of Jehovah or Jah, J-A-H. And so, so when God called Abraham out to that land, he was. If you look up these words, some of these words have just great significance to them. He calls him out to the place that he is seeing. In the mount of the Lord, the King James interprets that, Jehovah Jireh, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And so it's the place that God is seeing, God's provision, the place that God is going to provide provision. And we know that all of that is speaking of Jesus Christ. Everything there is speaking of Christ. And I really want you to get a hold of Abraham hearing God. That Abraham wasn't just moving of his own accord. He's moving because he's hearing God. He's actually acting upon the voice of the Lord. And and that just kind of brings me into uh, uh, some of what I want to say this morning. In John 10, and we start in verse 1, if you turn over to John 10, and here 
Here really is, is a fulfillment of another Jehovah name, which we'll look at in, in, throughout this morning. We've been talking about Jehovah's provision. And this morning a little bit, we're going to be talking about Jehovah's shepherd. And where that comes out of is Psalm 23 in particular. But in John 10:1, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, to him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. When he hath put forth all his own, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice, or hear his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. So they didn't understand what he was saying. Jesus therefore said unto them again. So he, in other words, I'm going to clarify to you what I'm saying. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. All that came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. Listen to this. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and go out, and shall find pasture. The thief cometh not, but that he may steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life, and may have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. What does he say he is? The good shepherd. The good shepherd layeth his life down for the sheep. I'm going to stop right here for a moment. And I want you to pay particular attention to verse 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in. Yes. Okay? So what does that mean? He shall be saved and shall go in and go out. Now I want to ask you something. And I want you to think with me, okay? So we're going to think a little bit. If I go into the door, and the door's Christ, he said, I'm the door. Yes. Why would I ever want to come out of it? But Jesus said that you would enter in and go out and find pasture. Now, what does that mean? Now, I've had an idea of what that meant, and, and the Lord probably corrected me. So there's probably no probably about it. So I've had an idea of that. And I was sitting before the Lord last night and, and, uh, and, and it just kind of moved in my heart. You go in and, and, and I'm going to back up and then I'm, I want you to really follow me this morning. You go in the door. Now where do we find the door at in your Bible? If I find the door, I, go, I have to travel all the way back. I can find it multiple places. I'll find it in the book of Revelation. But I'm going to travel back into Exodus. And I'm going to find a door. 
And in that door, when, when, when they began to hold the feast of Passover, what did they do? They took blood and they put it around the door. Has anybody ever read that story? Before, before the death angel or the Lord passed over, they put blood on the door, above the door, around the lintel. And what did they do? They entered into it. See, 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 a lot of times we miss that part of it. We saw them putting the blood on the door, but we haven't seen or, you know, really got a hold that they not only put the blood on the door, they entered into the door and they ate the lamb that they slayed. And of course, Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So that lamb that was slain there in Exodus was speaking of him. Because he's the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And that, that of course, John the Baptist was speaking of Christ. So he's the Lamb. So, so the blood is on the door and we enter into his death. That's what we enter into. They entered in, in type and shadow, they entered into the death of the Lamb. And came out that door to find pasture. They were coming out to a new land. Was Israel not moving out of Egypt and into what? The land of promise. And this is what Jesus said, "Ye shall go in and go out. Now, this, this word, go out, comes out of two Greek words. And you're going to love these. E-K-E-K. That's how I pronounce it. It's probably wrong, but that's the best I'm going to do today, Kathy. And it means, it's the word that means out from among, or from out of. It speaks of origin. Okay? really want you to hear this. It speaks of origin. And the second word is Archimedes. I come and go. And what I, I began to see last night was we enter into the door and we originate out of Him. So our origin is no longer the old man when we enter into the door, but our origin, we come out or originate out of Him. That's what I, that's what I saw that Jesus was saying, you shall go in and come out of Me. So, so it, he, he's not saying you'll go in and just go out like, like you, you go in and you go outside the door. You go in the door and you originate out of me. So your origin will be him. That's your origin. When you enter into the door, your, your origin is no longer the old man. The origin is no longer the natural man. Right. It's no longer your origin when you receive Christ. 
That's what Paul writes in the book of Romans. He says, you are no longer in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's what he says. He says, you are not. Now, how many believers believe that? See, that's, that's an issue. Is, is how we perceive the Word of God. A lot of times we don't perceive what He's saying. You go into Him. That's, that's, that's even what Paul says in another place. He says we are baptized by one Spirit into, into one body. We enter into Him. And our entrance is death that we would come out into life. And that's why we have to eat the whole lamb. So they had to eat all of the lamb. They couldn't, and whatever of that lamb remained, if you go back and read Exodus, it says, it shall be burnt with fire. So if any of it remained unto the new day, it had to be burnt with fire because it was speaking of consuming the old man. See, when I eat His flesh and drink His blood, He consumes the natural man. That's exactly what He does. He consumes it. I move out of my mind. That's right, I'm out of my mind. And I move into His mind. I move out of my desire... And I move into His desire. See, see, Jesus says that to us, and we we hear it, but we don't hear it. We don't understand it. He says, unless you lose your life, well, in my life is my mind, my desire, my will, my everything, right? He says, unless you lose your life, you shall not Fine life. Now, how can I lose my life? I can take that literal. After I take that literal, it's like J.W. Nobody hear me wrong, but I like what J.W. said. And if you hear me wrong, please pray for me and forgive me. But J.W. said something that was about this scripture, but it's about others that people believe. He said, well, if you really believe that, we should just line you up and shoot you in the head and be done with you. If you, if you really believe that, you know, he said something to that effect. Maybe I'm not saying it just right, but if you really believe, you know, like, I know what he was talking about, people saying, I want to die and go to heaven. He said, well, we, we can help you with that real fast, right? If that's what you really believe. But see, it's the same thing here. Unless you lose your life, you shall not find your life. Now, for you, you two that are new, I'm kidding. I kid a lot, so I'm kidding around, so... Please do not take that serious. But, but unless you lose your life, you shall not find life. Well, how do I lose my life? I can struggle my whole day as, my whole days in the earth as a Christian trying to lose my life. A lot of Christians have. Struggled, struggled, and struggled to lose their life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So how I lose my life is eating His flesh 
and drink in His blood. And that's, and that's the Word and the Spirit. He's not, again, I can take that literal. And if that was literal, there would be no way possible for us to do it today because Jesus isn't here in the flesh today. So for me and for them, and see some of them, even in that day, if you will study the Scripture, thought He was speaking of cannibalism. And he was, he was declaring, unless you partake of me, eat of me, eat my word, and drink my spirit, you will not have life. You won't come to life because you have to be rid of yourself. And the only way you'll rid you of you is eating my flesh and drinking my blood. You won't do it no other way. It won't happen. You can't fast it away, pray it away, stomp it away, claim it away. And people have tried, and I'm probably one of the people that have tried at at one time to rid me of me. Because the biggest enemy I usually face is my own self, is self-life. We... We fight self-life. And Brother Calvin's back there agreeing with me. He may not agree with me anymore, but he's agreeing with me today. So we fight ourself. And, And how do I lose myself? I lose myself in Him. I enter into His death. His death is my release from the world. This world. See, 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 we worry about this world out here, but the world that I probably should get consumed with is the world that I'm in. Right? Because we're all in a world. You're all over there, you can be in Africa, and they're in a, their own world, so to speak. Naturally very different from ours, right? A lot of the African countries don't have the wealth, they don't have the food, they don't have, you know, some do, but a lot of them don't. So they have a different world, so they have a different set of circumstances that they are faced with. So, so, but they are still faced with the same challenge of themselves. The one thing that you'll find in all countries you go to, if you visited every country, natural country in the world, is people are faced with themselves. And Jesus has a solution for you. And His solution for you is His death. That's not real popular to say, but that is His solution. Unless you eat My flesh and drink My blood, you have no life in you. Because eating of Him produces not, not our flesh life, but it produces His life in us. It brings forth a whole new life, and that's what was typed out in the exodus of the Israelites. They didn't come out of that house to the dawning of the new day. 
They came out of that house in type and shadow in a new life. And that's, that's what this whole, that whole testament's a picture of, is what God was going to do in Christ. All, all the way back, and I, I talked about this a few weeks ago with Noah. As in the days of Noah, so are the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What happened in the days of Noah? Noah entered into the door. Notice again what he enters into. A door. And he shut the door and all the earth died. The earth. And he went, I, I forget how many, how many days was it? Somebody help me. 150, Bob says, Brother Stanley says 40, so you have to look it up and see. <laughs> but he went and he came out into a new day, a new life. See? A new life. What, what, was, what that represented in Noah was again Christ entering into him. Yep. Yep. And see, he brings us out into a new life, just like He says here, you shall go in and come out and find pasture. Pasture is like a place. One word for pasture would be a place of residence. Like, like the cattle, the sheep, He's using sheep here. And He says you'll go in and find pasture. Pasture means a place of rest, a, a comfort, residence, a, you know, a grazing place, so you enter into Him and come out. See, that's what the Israelites were doing in type of shadow. They were entering into His death, and they were coming out to find pasture, to go into a new land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. And the only thing stopped them is they wouldn't believe, and so they didn't enter into it. They wouldn't walk on with God. They, they basically said, this can't be. Sounds like us today. This can't be. But, but Paul says this is exactly what we did is we entered into Him and, we, and when we entered into Him, our old man was crucified and you are a new creation created of God in Christ Jesus. So if I'm a new creation, I need to learn the new. Amen. Right? Is it an album, Anita, or is it a song, Welcome to the New, that Mercy Me has? It's her album, right? Welcome to the New. To the New. To the New. See, that's, that's what a lot of times we haven't got a hold of. The New. I'm a new man. Created of God. Where's my origin at? In Christ Jesus. This is what he's saying in John 10. You shall go in the door. I'm the door. Right? Now, was he a physical door? He's not that door back there on the wall, is he? No. You shall go in the door into me, into my death, burial, and resurrection, and you'll come out. You'll originate out of me, and you'll find pasture. Oh, yes. Yes. And he makes the statement, I am the good shepherd of the sheep. So I'm taking you to the good pasture land. And I taught on this some time ago. If you turn back to Psalms 23, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to read it out of the American Standard Version. It's going to sound very similar to King James, just a little different. 
And then I'm going to give you the two words used in, in, the, in the King James. I, I have to look it up and see how many words. But Psalms 23, are you all there? Because I want you all there. This is a very, very popular scripture that most of us have heard, right? Jehovah is my shepherd. King James says, the Lord is my shepherd. How many words do you think are actually in that? All those words. The Lord is my shepherd. What's that? Five words. In the Hebrew, there's two words. Actually, three. I stand to be corrected. The Lord. And that word means Jehovah. The Jehovah. Roah. So it's a Jehovah name here. So it's actually Jehovah Shepherd. Jehovah Shepherd. So when Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd, He's going back here and also Ezekiel 34, and He's declaring Himself to be Jehovah Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd. All that ever come before Me are what? Thieves and robbers. And if you'll read Ezekiel 34 real close, you'll find out maybe a little bit of what Jesus is talking about. I believe it's Ezekiel 34. I'll confirm it here in a second. But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Now, if I take all that natural, what would I say? Whoopee. How many people really want to go out and lay down in a green pasture field? Is that real exciting? So if I take this literal, the Lord who's my shepherd is going to take me out here. Over here's a pasture field. And He's going to cause me to lay down in it. And He's going to take me somewhere where there's some still waters and He's going to leave me beside it. If I take Psalms 23 literal. Now we went for years, many of us, and not gave it much thought. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want, so He's going to take me to lie down in, in green pastures. So He's giving me what I want. Some green pastures. And He's going to take me to still waters. Now again, if I take that literal, am I, seriously, am I real excited? Probably not. If I was a farmer, I might be. Now maybe He's just speaking to farmers here. But no, He's not. Jehovah is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down. And, and, and this is rest. This is what He's speaking of, is rest. He bringeth me into rest yes, yes. and into green pastures. Why, why He gives the description of green pastures is it's bearing fruit. He brings me into a land of fruit, a land of milk and honey. There's another way of Him talking about it, a land that's fruitful, a fruitful place, a place that's not barren. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. 
And He leadeth me beside still waters. Again, not trouble because what? What does it, you, you know, Isaiah say, I believe Isaiah says it, that, that the, the wicked man is what? He's like the troubled what? Sea. Yeah. Right? So, so here, I'm coming not as a troubled sea. I'm coming into still waters. So when Jesus comes on scene, He says, Hey, I'm the good shepherd. I give my life for my sheep. And you're going to go in and out and find pasture. He's coming right back here to Psalms 23. And He's saying, I'm the one that's going to lead you into the place of rest. Amen. Glory to the Lamb of the living God. I'm going to lead you into my rest. And see, that's what He did. How does He lead us into His rest? Through His death. Burial and resurrection. See, see, He is raised up and seated. And that word seated has multiple connotations to it. But one of them is when you're seated, you're seated in rest. So he sat down resting upon everything that he accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. And he makes us to rest with him. So all all these elements of our mind, Jesus has an answer for them. If we eat His flesh and drink His blood, the next thing He writes to the psalmist, right? He restores my soul. The word soul is suke. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, it's nephish, nephish, nephish. Properly a breathing creature is how it's interpreted. So it's your being. So He restores your being. What does He restore it from? The earth. Your world. So all the elements of your world. I was talking about the song this morning when we listened to the radio and it came on. I fight the elements. And I'm like, I said it in the car. Toby Mac. Paul said, I'm crucified to the world. Why do you want to fight the elements? I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. So I want to enter into the understanding of that and bear fruit of that understanding because that understanding will bring forth rest. See, if I understand that when He died, I died with Him, that's going to bring rest to my soul. Rest from what? Rest from the world. It really will. It brings rest. Now, I can quote it. I can read you the Scripture that says you're dead. 
Apostle Paul says, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's what Paul writes to the Colossians. You are dead. He didn't say you're going to die. He said you're dead because like Brother Bob said earlier, the judgment of the cross has already been applied to you. So you are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God when Christ who is our life shall appear. Then shall we appear with Him. That means as one in glory. So, so as He appears, and I'm going to throw a little slant at this, as He appears in you, where's He at? Christ in you. Paul writes in Colossians also, Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now if I follow Colossians 1 on over, what's that, Colossians 3 I'm quoting? I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. If I follow 1 on over, he says, when Christ shall appear, then you shall appear with Him in glory. He says, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and when He appears, you appear in glory. So if He's in you, would it not make sense for Him to appear in you? Sure it would. It would make sense to me. If He's in you, if what Paul says is true, He's in you. I believe Brother Paul had it right. Now He's going to appear and I'm going to appear with Him not as the old man See, that's the glory of this thing. I don't appear as the old man. See, I appear with Him in glory. I appear in a new man, a new creation that Christ created Himself. We sing a song here, I'm a new creation, I'm a brand new man, old things are passed away. I am now of Him. That's a very scriptural song. I pick out a lot of songs because they're not real scriptural. That one, however, is very, very scriptural because we are new creatures created in Christ Jesus. See, that, that, was, that was kind of a mystery that had been hid from ages and generations, but is now made known to the saints, Christ in you the hope of glory. Amen. It was hid. So for ages, the prophets before didn't understand that when God spoke through Isaiah, He was going to do a new thing on the earth. They didn't understand what He was speaking of. Paul did. Because it was revealed in Paul, so he understood it, and he began to declare Christ in them. That's what was here from ages. And Paul went on to declare in, in Ephesians that the Gentiles would be made of the same body as the Jews. Yes, sir. That they would be one body, one body. in Christ under God. Well, that had been hid. In all that Scripture, it's hid. Now, where's it hid at? 
It's hid in all that God has said from Genesis to Malachi. It's in there, but it's hid. And when the person of Christ begins to appear in you, you'll see it written in Genesis to Malachi. You'll find it. But you won't find it until you begin to see Him that it's written of. So how do I see Him? I see Him by the Spirit of God. I know Him by the Spirit of God. We say, brother, ain't no man see God and live. That's true. Because Paul said, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So he took care of that. Flip over to Revelation chapter 1. You'll have to go back and read Ezekiel. I, I, I would love to spend time and go through all these, but Revelation chapter 1, that, that is Ezekiel 34, where he's also declaring the shepherd. But turn to Revelation chapter 1. The Lord has been speaking this in me throughout the morning, so I have to get to it. And it... I love Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 in particular. And then we're going to move on down because a lot of people have probably mischaracterized this book of the Bible. But I want you to read the very first verse. The revelation of what? Jesus Christ. So this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now if I want to peel that onion a little bit, the word revelation means... Disclosure, appearing, coming, light, and manifestation, be revealed. A disclosure is something that's hid. Remember what we said? It was hid from ages and generations. That's in Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, you'll find or actually Colossians. In the book of Colossians and Ephesians, both you'll find it. But the book of Colossians, it's hid. What's hid? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now... Made manifest, Paul writes. See, see, and here John starts the revelation, the disclosure of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So John said, This is shortly going to come to pass. So John, Brother John was looking for this to come to pass in his day when John was upon the earth. Okay? Who bear record of the Word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and all things that he saw, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear, listen to that, hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. So what did John say? 2,000 years ago, John said the time of this revelation is at hand. Put your hand up. At hand. In other words, it's here. Okay? It's now. What John is saying. So, so, so he goes on and says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, do you believe there's really seven spirits? John said there is. Paul said there's but one spirit. So you have to look at what John is saying, right? John is speaking in 
type, shadow, symbolic language. A lot of symbolism is in this book. So if I, so if I sit and take it all literal, I'll miss what it's really saying. So, so who has to show me what it's saying? The Spirit of the Lord. So he goes on, he says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now I'm going to skip on down here, and you can read the rest of this yourself. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now that's probably a piece we need to study right here. I was in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit. Maybe, maybe that means he was preoccupied with the Spirit. Because if the Spirit of God dwell in you, when you be in the Spirit, well, you can have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, but your mind can be anywhere but there. Is that not true? Have you all that have received the Spirit of God, are you always walking around in the Spirit? Paul says you're no longer in the flesh, but in the Spirit, right? But do I always walk around with an awareness of being in the Spirit? Probably not, do I? No. So John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice. And what does this voice sound like? This would be a strange voice. Sounds like a trumpet. And it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in the book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Theatira, Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice. So John turned to see the voice that was speaking to him. And being turned, in other words, in a state of being, so he not just physically turned, his heart turned. He was in a, a state of being, turned. He saw, what did he see when he looked to see the voice? He saw seven candlesticks, or seven candelabras. Now, correct. Now, does that mean he saw seven? I'm going to throw this out at you, and there's something for us to search out, because I've got a question in my own heart. Okay? Sometimes I give you questions I have. Does that mean he saw seven individual candles? Or does that mean he saw the seven candlesticks? Right? Isn't that what it was? Six with one in the middle mob in the Old Testament in the candlestick? Wasn't that the way it was? And one in the midst of that, those seven candelabras. Now, that's a strong thought I have in my heart. And when he, when he saw that, he saw candlesticks, and in the midst of the candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man. Well, if I picture a candlestick, naturally, it's not that big, is it? It could be this big, it could be that big, but in the midst of that candlestick, he sees, now if he's seeing just all natural events, he sees in the midst of that candlestick a son of man, one like a son of man. Yes. Clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about with the patch, with a 
golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in the furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. That'd be a unique voice, too. Sound like rushing water or many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And I've said this kidding around in the past. His right hand had to be really big because the star is humongous. So if he's speaking literal and he sees someone with seven stars, he's got a really big hand. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, what did John do when he saw him? I fell at his feet as dead. Where did he fall at? His feet. Every word here has major, major significance. Because what was his feet like? Burning brass. That's it, Brother Sam. He fell as a dead man at his feet. Now, where do I find brass at? I go back to Moses' tabernacle and I find an altar made of what? Brass. A brazen altar. So those feet of brass is signifying His death. And John fell at His feet. The judge of the cross when he died Paul wrote all were made to be dead in the book of Corinthians John saw the judgment of the cross here and he saw that in the midst of the seven candlesticks in the midst of the church he saw one like the son of man so John when he turns to see he falls and as if he's dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I'm the first and the last. So now John is living by him. Because what he saw was when Jesus died, I died with him. That's what Brother John saw. He saw the work of judgment. See, see, I, I used to preach this and love to preach it every now and then, Brother Wayne. Judgment shall begin at the house of God. Brother Wayne, I would have really picked on you that day back then for wearing shorts. Now I wear shorts myself. But that day when I used to preach that, I would have really, really, I'm just making a point. And Brother Wayne, I hope that doesn't offend you. I, I, love, I love his brother pieces, but I'm making a point. Using an example. And again, I'll say it, I wear shorts myself. And in fact, and some people get offended me for saying this, I could preach in shorts just like I am right now. Wouldn't stop me one bit. Because He is my righteousness. Okay. So the fact that I, I, I have on shorts, I have on long pants, does that change anything? Absolutely not. He is my righteousness. Yes, He is. 
So, what, what I would have preached about when I would have quoted the Scripture, Judgment shall begin in the house of God. I'd have preached on Sister Joyce back there too for her earrings. Because I would have began to skin you on what I thought God was going to judge. How He was going to judge you. I would. Amen. Brother Stanley, he, he, he hasn't said it a long time, but he said they used to call him Bucky Beaver because he would spit you up and chew you out. Or, or chew you up and spit you out. I said it backwards. So because he was preaching on your, your natural flesh all, you, you know, all the time, trying to make you right with God. And it was all based upon what we thought righteousness was. And we probably never stopped and asked the Lord, what do you think righteousness is, Lord? Let's just give our version of it. And every denomination has a version of righteousness. Yeah. And a different one. Usually you go to them, you'll find a different one. Even if you just stick in Pentecost, you'll find 10, 20 different views of how righteous you need to be. Yeah. How holy you need to be. But anyway, judgment shall begin at the house of God. What starts in the house of God is His judgment. That's absolutely true. But what He's going to judge in your heart, and it's very important to pass before the judgment seat of God, because He's going to judge in you the old man dead. Amen. That's what that is going to do. The judgment seat of God is going to judge in you that when He died, I died with Him. See, I agree with what most grace preachers preach, but I want to take it a, a, a little step further. We don't escape His judgment. And you don't want to escape His judgment because then you can't get released. See, because the release is the old man has been judged in his death. He already judged your old man. And He crucified him. Put him away. Buried him. And brought you forth in new life. So judgment has to come to the house of God. Hello, house of God. You are the temple of the living God. And what judgment comes, and this is what this book is starting to deal with, is the judgment. Jesus begins to deal with these seven churches in judgment. We're going to look at this, in the Lord willing, in the coming weeks. I believe we're getting ready to open the book. So, uh, uh, Sister, uh, you may want to tell Brother Benny that we're probably going to open up the book of Revelation and start walking through it. I feel it in my spirit. We'll just see where the Lord takes it. But we're here this morning. So a judgment comes, and John immediately is judged. So John immediately sees death. Does he not? I fell at his feet as dead. Why, why didn't he just say, I fell dead? Why did he have to say, I fell at his feet? Because his feet were as burning brass. And brass, and we'll have to pick this apart in the Scripture, and that's where we're going to go, is in the Scripture. Always going to go in the Scripture. Always in the Scripture. Brass, I, I tell you this, 
search it out, signifies judgment. So when they brought the offering and they laid it on brass, God judged that offering. God judged them free from the penalties of sin because He laid their judgment upon that offering. Did He not? And it was on brass. And it had to be on brass because the Lord designed it that way in His Word because Jesus was going to appear with brazen feet. Now that would be a unique man appearing with feet of brass as if they were burning in a fire. And and that even goes further. What was going on underneath that altar? Does anybody know what was going on? Has anybody ever read what went on underneath that altar in the Old Testament? What, What did they have in there? Fire. Fire, you said it. So Jesus here appears with feet as brass burning, we're at, Sister Sheila, in a fire. So, so again, and he's clothed as a high priest. Clothed with a garment down to his foot. So, so here he's clothed as the priest of God. Amen. Absolutely. So, so, and, and so he goes, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Hereafter, after seeing him, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the stars are the angels of the seven churches, or the pastors. The stars are the angels, or pastors, of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are seven churches. Amen. So seven candlesticks are seven churches. And you go up in, in verse 11 and he tells you the seven churches. Then he starts coming and enacting judgment in those seven churches. And I guarantee you the judgment in those seven churches applies to us today. I guarantee you that. You may say, no, it doesn't. But I guarantee you as we peel that onion back, you're going to see that, yes, it does. And judgment, see see, folks, we've got this idea that judgment is a bad thing. In the Christian church, we've got an idea that judgment is this horrible thing, right? To go stand in front of a judge. And I've used this illustration many times. When you get an inheritance, and and how many know the Lord said He gave you an inheritance? How many know that the Bible says the Lord has given us inheritance? You know that, right? When you get an inheritance and you go before a judge and he says, Hey, Brother Wayne, you've inherited a million dollars. Is that a bad thing? Could be, bro. I that could be. But see, but see, a judgment is not necessarily a bad thing. A judgment is, you know, it's like it's like you, you sister, somebody says you, you stole brother Andrew's horse. Okay, we're just making things up here. 
And you go before the judge and the judge says, no, you're free. So, so that judgment released you from the penalty. So a judgment can release you from a penalty. So the judgment of His death released you from every penalty in Adam. You realize that? Every penalty of sin, the Bible says every... That, what, what does Isaiah say? That the iniquity of us all was laid upon Him. So the judgment of the Lord is that releases you from all your iniquities, that's a pretty good judgment, right? I want that judgment into my life. I want to be free from my sin. But it also says that not only does He release you from your sins, but that same judgment brings you forth in new life. Because the problem of just realizing, and, and again, I don't want to pick on people, but sometimes in, in a, lot of, a lot of teaching I've heard, in, in grace, and I'm a grace preacher, so I, I, I by all means believe in the grace of God. So, so I, I believe that wholeheartedly, but one of the things I've heard is, is, that, is sometimes it's not really, you know, I, I'm, I'm released from my sins, I'm released from the penalty of my sins, but I can't get free from them. I, I, I get left with me. Right? And if I get left with me, guess what me is going to do? You said it. Right? Even when I try not to, what's going to happen, I'm going to find a law, like Apostle Paul said, a law working in me. When I desire to do good, what's Paul say? Evil is present with me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? From this body of death. And he, then, he, then he gives you the answer. Thanks be unto God who hath delivered us through Jesus Christ our Lord. But, but we're not just delivered through His death. We are saved, Paul writes, by His life. And see, it's when we come to His life that we begin to see salvation. That our life is in a new man. Our life is not in I. Our life is not in me. Our life is not in my own ability. My life is in Him. And see, this life of Christ is to be made alive in you. Amen. That it's not just a, it's not just a word. I, and, and, I, and again, I'm going to tell you this. I believe the Scripture wholeheartedly. But it's not just a word on a page that I read. It's the reality of Him that is in me coming forth. Amen. Wouldn't it be awful if, the, if it was just a word on a page? Because I could never keep that. Could I? We already tried to keep words on stones, did we not? We had words on stones given to us. And we had an inability, and really Gentiles never had the words on stones, so the, the Jews had words on stones given to them, but they had no ability to keep what was given. Do you realize that? Now, I'm getting ready to stop. Give me just a handful more minutes. So we had no ability to keep those words. So what God did is He gave us His Spirit okay, to live 
in us. Christ in you. To reveal His Word in you. And His Word that's revealed in you is not just the written Word on the page. It's who the written Word speaks of. See, see this, this is what people have to understand. In the beginning, we read, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Now, I could, I could say that if I interpret that literal, that means in my Bible's on my computer. That would mean the written Word of God is God. You believe that written Word of God is God? Amen. No. He's more than that written Word. He's more than that, is He not? Because then I just pick up my Bible and say, well, here's God. If I, if I took that literally, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here's the Word. Here's the written Word. No, no, no. The Word of God is what's revealed in you. This written Word that we read testifies, bears witness of Him. And the Spirit of God makes Him real. That's that's exactly... And that's the covenant of God we're in. I will write My Word in your heart and in your mind. Now again, when I used to read that, I would believe God was saying He's going to write the Old Testament law. In my heart and mind. That's what I used to believe. I, I believe that. I know. He's writing a greater Word. He's writing the Word of the Lord Himself. The living Word which enables you to live. See, this is what people want. Christians want. They want to live. Most Christians want to live right. If you get, if you get down to it, most Christians that I've ever met, they want to live right. But sometimes they don't find the power to do it, do they? They, they? they don't find the power to fulfill what they want. Well, the power is Him revealed. Because when He begins to live in you, right, then you live in Him. One last scripture we'll quote and we're done. I'm, I'm long, so if you, you, you haven't been here before, I, I'm, I'm trying to cut myself off, but just the fact of it is, you can't teach, you, you really can't teach the Word like, like a lot of times people want just a quick word. You really can't do it. You've got to get into it. You've got to break it. You've got to look at it. So, so anyway, Jesus said, in John 14, 20, he said, At that day of the Spirit, he's speaking of the coming of the Holy Ghost, he said, At that day you will know, you will know, you will know. How do I know anything is in, in the natural? I know through experience and I know through a word, right? I know through instruction, like a words, like I get, I learn math through what? Symbols, through words, right? Or history or whatever. But, but you will know I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. See, that's a new knowing. That's a whole new state of being, to be honest with you. To know that I am in in Him and He is in me, that's a whole new state of being. 
And see, see, that takes on legs. And I'm turning my computer off. <laughs> Kathy's laughing because she knows I'm not going to stop just because I turn my computer off. That takes legs. Because it starts with the, this awareness that He's in me. Right? I have an awareness that He's in me. So I, I become aware of it. That's a start of it. But that's not the end of it. Because now, what I mean it takes legs is it begins to grow. So the awareness of Him being in me begins to grow to it fills me up with His presence. To, to He fills me up with Him. And when He fills me up with Him, now what I'm going to manifest to you is Him, not me. And that's what we're hungering for, is to manifest Him to the earth. we already seen what we are. I have anyway. I've seen what I am naturally, and I didn't really like Him. So I've seen Him. And He's a very wretched man, like Paul said. But now what God has done is given the solution for you to live right. You want to live right. God's given you the ability to live right because He's living, He's revealing the righteous one living in you. So now your source isn't you. Your source to live good isn't you. It isn't your performance. It isn't how great you can do it. It's Him that lives in you. And the answer is knowing Him that lives in you. See, 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 the Gospel doesn't show you, Calvin, that you were just this great man and you just didn't know it. No, it shows the great one in you and brings you into union with Him. And man, that's good news to me. That He lives in me. That's really good news. And I live in Him. Now, like I said, I have to, I have to make myself stop. 